I feel like so many of these second episodes do have this introduction as well. I was like, <laughs> I don't believe in free will, therefore. <laughs> Such an interesting concept, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that one, at least it's like it makes it interesting to reframe how we look at the world and everything. But yeah, so because of that, we should and I, you know, should uh, <laughs> should is a strong word, um, but I think we should create systems through which people flow towards behaviors that are more of what we want out of people. Yeah. <laughs> so if 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 we're making decisions to create the systems is that not free will? Uh the decisions we make are the decisions we were going to make. Because of the systems we've been in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that I can see how that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And it's this weird sort of like circular logic. And I haven't really been, you know, able to find a way out of it. But like, you know, we're we're all flowing towards something. Yeah. Uh, I have a really nerdy science fiction example uh, that helps explain that, which is like there's fourth dimensional time travel and fifth dimensional time travel. <laughs> so fifth dimensional time travel is like back to the future. If you go to the past, you can actually like change the past and it affects the future. And it like, it's actually just generating all these different offshoots of like what yeah. the future ends up being. So is that like, like multi- universes yeah yeah okay. that, that creates a multiverse yeah. um but then fourth dimensional time travel or just linear time means that everything that happened is exactly what did happen and everything that is going to happen is exactly what is going to happen and if you travel back in time you're actually doing the thing that already happened yeah. so like in Prisoner of Azkaban, whenever uh, Harry and Hermione went back to fix all the things, they actually already did that. Mm -hmm. And it's like a... It was like expected. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a great example of that, even though J.K. Rowling sucks. Uh, <laughs> uh, we are victims of J.K. Rowling <laughs> fandom, as I heard someone put it. I love that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the... And so... Because we are sort of shot out into the future and time and existence, we are going in the direction that we are going. <laughs> I gotcha. Uh, it's not helpful to think about all the time because it like it doesn't really change anything. Uh, yeah, I guess that's the point, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like that makes me think about how um something I think about in my daily life often is that we're all living from our own experiences mm -hmm. so like um we could look we could look at the same like apple and like see it differently like mm -hmm. um experience it dif I don't know why I said apple like that didn't need to be said but like everything we're doing is um 
we're all experiencing it differently because of the experiences that we've had before. Um, and so I don't know, I feel like that kind of, that makes me, um, I don't know, that correlates to me, the like lack of free will thing. Tiny tangent. Why is Apple like the first item that we always like go to if we're thinking of like, is it just like that our brains are alphabetized and we just go to like a word, literally the first one, I guess, is Apple. We don't say aardvark all the time, but like (laughs) we should. Um, Yeah, because I I wonder if we asked someone who is like from a different um, culture, like a different um, country or something like I wonder if they would say the same thing. Like I, I, it probably, yeah, right. We should do that. I feel like it's like, it's definitely a, um, like a thing that we're all taught in like kindergarten. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And and then just like the rest of the examples are just like the next thing that's closest to you. And so it's usually like phone. Yeah. (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, Or keys or whatever it is. Uh, (laughs) I think there's a lot of like philosophical texts that talk about like when you imagine a chair and it's like these people were sitting in a chair when they were writing Mm -hmm. this because (laughs) chair is like in so many like thought experiments that's true yeah but i wonder what chair everyone's imagining you know like i imagine like a wooden chair with like a very like square back and little like three wooden prongs in the back kind of thing like i wonder if people are like imagining like a a cushion or like a rolly chair like you know yeah yeah (laughs) it's actually like really interesting so this is something like have you thought about this yes (laughs) absolutely (laughs) i told you this is a philosophy podcast veiled as a music podcast (laughs) gotcha gotcha um that plato has this uh idea of the forms like the plane of forms and the forms are the like perfect version of anything that you can imagine and anytime that we are like making something plato says like we're drawing from the forms to make the thing and so there is like a platonic ideal of like the most cheriest chair (laughs) <laughs> okay which is red and made of cherries because that's oh, the cherriest yeah. chair. Uh, obviously yeah uh, yeah that's exactly what i pictured <laughs> it's a cherry chair <laughs> um but yeah so like the most chair chair is like the <laughs> is probably that that like wooden like oh no 90 degree angle not even so much because it's like the most comfortable chair because that's a different metric right yeah. but it's just like it's the most like a chair like it is undeniable if you see that wooden like 90 degree angle thing yeah you absolutely would go that's a chair yeah for sure <laughs> you're making me feel like i'm in a simulation right now uh <laughs> which i'm uncomfortable no, I'm, just <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry uh but like I don't know. Uh, going back to like apples, yeah. what is the appliest apple? And um, <laughs> I would say the appliest apple is red. Yeah. And it has like a shiny spot. Yeah. 
<laughs> Definitely. A single leaf and, and it's a like stem. Weirdly sharp. I feel like normal apples are kind of misshapen a little bit and stuff, and they have the round bottoms, but I feel like the like the most perfect apple is the one that has the really sharp uh bottoms. Yeah. You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Not sharp, but like pretty, pretty, pretty pronounced. Yeah bottoms the like clip art apple yes <laughs> yeah that is always on teachers desks yes for whatever reason uh-huh. all of our like ideas of what the most anything our, our platonic form of anything just comes from school mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah this is the first time that like you know someone said this is an apple mm-hmm. i was like all right cool now i know put it in the box in my head forever <laughs> First, in in the category Apple. as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> quick think of a thing. <laughs> oh man! Uh, <laughs> how do we get here? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but free will. Uh, <laughs> yeah, apples. And I feel like I just like further. Yeah, we just <laughs> apples simulation. Um, free will. Yes. Uh, yeah. So the. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, systems. The thing that uh, I was thinking, I was like on a long car ride and just driving by myself and I was listening to an audiobook and I had a thought and I paused the audiobook and for the rest of the like 45 minutes of that drive, I just like sat in silence with my thoughts. It was great. I love that. (laughs) I do that a lot after, especially after shows. Mm. when you've had like the the music happening for a while and you have like a couple hours drive home Mm. I sit in silence a lot and just process or think or yeah what I do with all this adrenaline yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure is that so was that the thought that you had on the drive it was it was about uh how systems and the individuals that interact within them uh so like for whatever reason i personally think about systems and like prioritize them more than the individuals behaving within the systems and so it's one thing to say like i always kind of break the example of crime especially when regarding free will mm-hmm. um which is like the way that our system as it stands right now deals with crime is that like you did a bad thing, you are bad, you get punishment. And so that's like treating someone as an individual within a system rather than like acknowledging the whole system around them. And it's like not enough people are asking the question of like what led that person to commit crime in the first place. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think more so, and and this is, uh, hey, regular podcast listeners, here comes back the return of this buzzword metamodernism, uh, which is basically just like looking at systems uh, and the way in which we are behaving within systems and how just systems affect the things. Um, and it's a very like, I feel like, Gen Z is totally all about, even if they haven't like said it, but it it's like, yeah, totally. Like 
there's patriarchy and there's like white supremacy and like these are systems that we are living within. Yeah. And it's very new to older people. And they're like, I don't know what you mean. I'm not a white supremacist. And it's like, well, like racism can exist without racists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, the thought that I was having is just that like, I think about systems a lot more than I regard the individuals within them. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Um, and that, you know, so yeah, what does lead a person to commit crime? Uh, what does lead a person to uh, hate themselves? And in, in the examples that you were saying, I've, yeah. I've been listening to The Handmaid's Tale. And so that yeah. was the... How is that? I started it, but didn't Despair, finish. yeah, is... Um, <laughs> I acknowledge that the despair is, is very real. And yeah. as a person without a uterus, it does not affect me as heavily as it would uh, someone else. But, you know, yeah. I find it to be important that, like, this is something I need to have an understanding about. Yeah. Um, Do you feel like it's helping? You understand? Yeah. Nice. Uh, I was talking to my wife about it that, like, it is pretty white, though. Handmaid's Tale? Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's fair. I haven't read enough of it to to know. What do you what do you mean? Like what were what are the things that stand out to you that make it white? That like and I mean it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, but it is an observation. Mm-hmm. Uh that the character, and I guess a lot of ways Margaret Atwood herself mm-hmm. uh, is sort of comparing her life after this subjugation and her life mm-hmm. before it. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, these are the blessings that I got to live with that I no longer get to live with. Mm-hmm. And these are the luxuries that I had that I didn't know were luxuries then until yeah. they were taken away. And it's like those luxuries still don't exist for a lot of people. A lot of people, <laughs> even yeah. without a zealous religious government. Yeah. Um, and so it's not necessarily a bad thing that like that's not in the book. It's more that it's notable that yeah, these are luxuries mm-hmm. that are specific to someone that is white yeah definitely (laughs) i can see that Mm -hmm. um and yet the perspective of a woman is present and yeah important (laughs) just a specific kind of woman who had very specific kinds of privileges before those were taken away um do you feel like i so i i obviously haven't read the book I've I think I read like the first few chapters and then I want to finish I just didn't um at the time but do you feel like she still has privileges within the the system because of that no. or not at all okay, okay <laughs> well cool. I think it's notable that as far as I am in the book race has not been mentioned gotcha um, yeah and maybe it was mentioned and I'm not remembering it, but like, I feel like I would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, given that this is sort of my first like 
thing that I realized about the book is yeah. that it's very white. You probably would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, well, actually, so that's not necessarily true. So she talked about whiteness in a metaphor of like emptiness and ghostliness. And like, she said that like, I am white in this moment. I am a ghost. I am nothing right now. Um, and it's like, she was saying it literally in the sense of like her skin color, because she was like terrified in that moment as well. So she was like pale, but also, uh, the metaphor of like white as in blink, uh, which is, you know, if we want to be like overly analytical about like already has some like pro white bias in the statement, like white being blank is not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's as uncharitable a reading I, I could give it. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. If we're being that, you know, heavy about it. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, the the rest of it, I don't think really, I don't know, is relevant. I don't, I have not heard about a character that is of color in uh, the book. So we'll see. Uh, yeah. That is the sound of my cat jumping on to the jackets that are on the door <laughs> or trying to get in here. Um, but yeah, sorry. What else were you saying? <laughs> um, I, I don't think, I don't know. I don't really have anything to say after that. I think that's really, that's really insightful. That's very, um, it's very attentive of you to, <laughs> to notice that. Um, yeah, that's, that's a cool viewpoint on that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess since we're on the topic, uh, yeah, and we can have perspectives here that, again, so, uh, Supreme Court decision did a shitty thing for lots of people. Mm -hmm. How do you feel? <laughs> um, devastated, for sure. Um, I think my initial reaction was shock, um, mostly because they just did it without like they just decided to do it like nobody voted nobody was like yes let's do this mm -hmm. and then um a lot the states i mean some states are allowing votes you know like Kansas for the win but like a lot of states were just like gotcha you know and <laughs> so it's so interesting to me that um i think i was raised to believe that we had more of a say i think we all were and that to me was just kind of like a a really big like moment where I realized how little control I have over anything, um, even my own body and autonomy. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, also what upsets me, like, I don't know. Another thing that upsets me about that decision is that, you know, we have way too many people on this planet already. <laughs> we are overcrowded. 
as it is, the planet is dying. No, I mean, it's not dying. The planet will be fine. We are going to die um, if things don't, you know, change. And and adding more people to that equation is insanity. Um, I think, so there's, there's that, like, we don't need more people. And then there's the thing of that, like, I don't think that people who... I don't think everyone should be having kids personally. And so I'm, I'm interested that, um, that our culture is still like encouraging everyone to have children because I really don't think a lot of people should be, um, because a lot of people do it for the wrong reasons, in my opinion. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I just, and I really feel like it's just a control tactic, Mm. you know, just to like, um, just, further prove that men have control not all men obviously but like um the powerful people in the government have control over um our lives and like not only is it children but it's like you know if I were to have a child like that affects my health um it affects you know um potentially my education potentially how much money I can get it also means that like for me, if I were to have a kid right now, like I would probably have to get help from the government and like live off of welfare. And it just further perpetuates the like poverty and suppression. And, you know, it even more affects people of color and like people in different situations. And it's just really like, um, just deeply upsetting on like so many different levels. So, um, I think I mourned over it for several weeks and, um, all of my friends, you know, we, we took the measures that we could to make us feel like we were more in control. Um, but also there's the thing of like, I always knew that we weren't to a certain extent, you know, like none of us can get our tubes tied until we're like 85 and have had 17 kids and have three husbands, you know, like it's like, you're not allowed to to do that stuff anyway but um yeah um it made me mad yeah (laughs) so yeah and thank you for uh (laughs) giving your perspective and your emotions and everything yeah it was a really long answer thanks for listening (laughs) no absolutely and you know it's not like my what i have to say about it like (laughs) it's more important coming from you it affects you more. Thanks. <laughs> but I'd love to hear what what you think. Yeah. Uh, systems. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, it doesn't have much to do with individuals, right? Like, mm-hmm. the individual can do everything in their power to try to not get pregnant and still get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then like systemically you are barred from like legally choosing the course for your own life. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like whatever individual decisions are involved in there, like don't matter in the context of the greater system that is forcing people to have babies. Mm-hmm. And then for what even? <laughs> yeah, like why? And other, yeah, there's just so many children already that don't have 
homes or if they have homes don't have parents that wanted them like I know a lot of a lot of my friends who like their parents didn't want kids you know and they had them and they the kids are still working through the trauma of that you know and um yeah and then like there's also just the the danger that it puts everyone in like women I guess really mostly just women but um or people non-binary people or trans people you know it affects everyone but like um people who have the potential to have children like they could die or like if they they could get arrested or the doctors who are helping them could um get go to jail like you know like it's just um yeah yeah so I think of things in in terms of systems. And so like the individual doesn't matter in that regard. And that is, uh, especially for a culture that is so like individualist Mm -hmm. in America. Yeah. That, uh, we are intentionally sort of like, taking individual abilities away mm-hmm. um and yeah. yeah i um i yeah i think i've been shocked a lot about how much power our government has over us um and how it just yeah i think that it was just yeah there's just, they can do so much mm-hmm. just so quickly without, without our say, without our opinion. Um, and yeah. Right. And <laughs> so the one thing that I feel like we all did immediately afterwards is just like, all right, what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And like, we're so sedated by like, social media and just like content flooding our brains at all times that like at least for me personally I was like yeah on that first day I was like ah let's do everything we can what can we do let's like think through this blah 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 and then you know some time has passed and I'm not with the same level of like anger and fervor and like needing to take action uh and we're kind of all there too yeah (laughs) yeah we're not really talking about it I think um I definitely think that it's meant within my friend group within like just most women that I associate with um it's mentioned at least every other day you know someone's like you know, well, I have no rights or, you know, that, like, I feel like, uh, my friend group, we joke, we have really dark humor. So we like just joke about how, how it's going. But, um, I think, yeah, we definitely, but if I'm being honest, like, um, it's sadly, I feel like it's not, um, it's it's not an abnormal feeling for me or for any of my friends. We, um, you know, joke about the terrible situations we've been in and the things that we've experienced on the regular. Um, and so I do think that like this was uh, awful and astronomical for sure. But at the same time, I think a lot of women have just, we just adjust because like 
we know how to, you know, <laughs> at this point. Um, so I, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think we've just, we've started joking or we've started like just making little comments and it's not something a lot of people are fighting as actively for as we were when it first happened. Yeah. And in, in a weird way, like, yeah, for some people it's like, wait, I now don't have rights. Uh, but it's also like, you never did. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it really does feel that way. Um, I think it was just a reminder of how powerless women are. Um, and like, I remember reading about how, I don't know, I, I can't be totally like accurate about this, but I think it was like the eighties when we were finally able to take out a loan by ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, things like that, where like, it's really not, that's what 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, like a lot of our rights are very recent still. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, Roe v. Wade was pretty recent. Um, and it was, what is that? Like, was it like 60 years ago, like 50 or 60? Um, or was it 40? I don't know. It was like pretty recent a and lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was just taken away. Like, mm -hmm. and what's, and then, you know, they were threatening, um, like gay marriage and things like that. Um, and it's just like what gay marriage was like, you know, I think I was in high school yeah. whenever we passed, like, that was like, not, not very long ago. And, uh, so it's just, it's just wild how, um, I remember, oh my goodness. I remember talking to my friend, uh, about like a week before the Roe v. Wade thing happened. And I was like, I hope that, um, by the time, you know, if I have kids by the time that they're you know, in middle school or high school, like being gay is not even a thing that we think about, or at least like my grandkids, mm -hmm. like it's not even a concept that you like should be heterosexual and then you're deviant if you're not like, yeah. um, and, and then Roe v, the Roe v. Wade thing happened. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, cause I really was like, I'm hopeful. I, I'm definitely like an optimist and I'm hopeful that things will go well. Um, but it's crazy. Yeah. How you can just be like, okay, that's, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> like we shifted gears pretty quickly and, and we just, and things just, that's just what happens, you know? Yeah. It, it is also like, there is this weird kind of like dark thought that is actually like a, a ray of hope for me, which is just like, these are the death throes of extreme conservatism. Like yeah. they know mm -hmm. that they're on the way out and they're doing everything in their power, which is a lot. They have a lot of power, but like they're doing everything in their power to like make sure they like fuck shit up as much as they can before yeah. they die. Uh, that is helpful. <laughs> uh, and it's like, all right, well, cool. Like you'll die. And then we'll like, I guess have to like just pick up the pieces from the tantrum that you threw before you died. Yeah. And well, yeah, like, cool. All right. Now that they're gone, are we, are we cool? Like gay people? All right, cool. Uh, people deciding when and why they want to have babies at their own leisure. All right, cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right, yeah we're, we're just going to like get all these ground things that like culturally are pretty well understood to be mm -hmm. just facts and yeah and it's like all right cool <laughs> now that 
that we're freaking, all on the same page. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, it still takes a lot to get there and undo yeah. those systems. And one of the things that like really sparked that the forty-five minute drive in silence mm-hmm. is just like thinking about Christianity as a system. Um, (laughs) and how, I mean, you talked about it last episode about how, yeah, there's all these rules and structures and things that you can and can't do and ways in which they teach you to hate yourself. Uh, I was raised Catholic. So, okay. uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so guilt and shame are a very, you know, every Catholic person or person who grew up Catholic will tell you about like, oh yeah, Catholic guilt. is just a yeah, thing. That's it's like just, a whole phrase that yeah. people use. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, the ways in which the system of Christianity, like written into the code of it, do these things to people and how it like generates systems that exist in at least fiction as it stands now a handmaid's tale but like also systems that lead us towards something like roe v wade being overturned and it's like these are or even more so uh i don't know these like manosphere type dudes that like uh oh women are property and like i can do whatever i want with them and like teaching adolescent teenage boys that like yeah you you can just like be an alpha and this is a good thing that you want to do and like women don't have value and all that sort of shit is like the institution of christianity and regardless of like the people that exist within it that are like really well intentioned and like probably uh you know people creating good things in the world like regardless of that the institution and system of christianity creates these things yeah yeah um something else i was talking about with someone recently is like how we you know have god in our pledge of allegiance Mm -hmm. and uh how we swear on the bible Mm -hmm. and how there's so many things within our government Mm -hmm. that really do center around christianity and um how many like uh how many like considerations we make towards christians within like most of our systems and how we don't make considerations for anyone else like muslims or even like jewish people or you know like anything other than christianity we're really not as a government like as a society um not society the government doesn't really make uh like doesn't offer uh, the, the space for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting because I feel like, uh, we try to proclaim that like, you know, that we're open to all kinds Mm -hmm. of cultures and races and religions. And it's really like, mm, we're really just catering to like white Christian men Mm -hmm. (laughs) still, you know? Yeah. Um, I will say that most religions uh religions with like a capital r uh are patriarchal yeah 
Um, I'm not saying I'm excited about them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And like, even in some ways, like even the least patriarchal religions are still a little bit patriarchal. Oh, for sure. Uh, Like the worship of Buddha, which, you know, is like sort of... I don't know, antithetical to like what Buddha was saying, but like the worship of Buddha is still like a patriarchal notion. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that like Buddha is the one to like be revered for giving us this knowledge as a man, like says something about like it. Patriarchy is embedded in lots of religions Mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. And so to build other systems on top of patriarchal religions, you will continue to perpetuate patriarchy. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. I, I, I love that. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And, and then as well with like white supremacy. And so if you build systems on top of white supremacist systems then like you're going to get more white supremacy regardless of the individuals acting within that system i gotcha Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah and so yeah we can say or yeah we can pay lip service to uh freedom of religion and like Mm -hmm. anyone is free to practice whatever but also we're still going to say like one nation under god and all men are created equal and all that sort of stuff that is like, it's written into the thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe the solution would just be to take it all out or something. I don't even know what the solution would be. (laughs) I mean, to challenge the sanctity model that Americans have in their head about like the constitution is sacred and it should remain untouched. uh, Let's just like, let go of that notion first and then be like, let's just rewrite it. Is there a better way of saying we hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal? Is there a better way of saying that? A (laughs) hundred percent. Yeah. Especially in the like hundreds of years that has passed since Thomas Jefferson wrote those words. Uh, Maybe we can like, and not even necessarily even like change what the text is actually saying, mm-hmm. but just like change it to be a little bit more clear, a little bit more, you know, so like how can we rewrite the constitution to like say things in a better way that apply to us now rather than 300 years ago? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, rewrite the constitution. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm here for it. <laughs> uh, and like to many Americans that is the same as saying rewrite the Bible. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Which, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Which is why that's so hard of a concept. I feel like to get across. Yeah, definitely. That's so funny. Cause I feel, you know, the Bible has been translated so many different times like why can't we just translate the constitution into something more modern like we've translated well you know kind of translated the bible into like i mean not quite but 
the only Bible I consider is the teen Bible that uh, a church made in the 1970s. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Yep, it's the correct Top one. Top tier. They, they figured it out then. <laughs> it's limited edition. <laughs> only in the closets of people who... <laughs> who went to uh, the Rosewood Baptist Church in Kentucky. Yeah, we all know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is the one. That is yes. the correct Bible. Absolutely, yes. Uh, yeah, and... <laughs> <laughs> so i mean it's all just a matter of like perception i guess how we look at these things how we uh there's a i had a conversation with uh someone involved in politics and mm-hmm. we like <laughs> i was challenged in the sense that like i brought up something from someone that is like a problematic individual but like the ideas still stood like uh and so i guess i'm prefacing that by saying like things that jonathan Haidt says now are pretty crummy but i think his notions about uh the righteous mind he wrote a book called the righteous mind and it like talks about how uh people tend to make emotional decisions first and then use rationality to justify it um Mm -hmm. with the metaphor that explains it better is like a man riding an elephant it's like you can say that you're guiding the elephant to where it goes Mm -hmm. but also the elephant is doing whatever the fuck it wants Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah 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 yeah. um and that's kind of like how we make decisions out of our emotions. Like we will make an emotional decision and then be like, oh, no, I totally like did this because blank. Mm-hmm. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but also Jonathan Haidt wrote a book more recently called The Coddling of the American Mind. And it's like all uh crummy like democratic liberal nonsense that's just like uh the kids are too woke uh and so okay that's annoying Mm -hmm. but you know people can have smart things to say and also dumb things to say that's Mm -hmm. everyone yeah (laughs) yes i agree firmly yes uh that long walk towards uh in some of the studies that he was doing for that book, uh, The Righteous Mind, he talked about how like there are certain like values or like modules through which we like hold on to our values. Mm-hmm. And so there's like uh, conservatives tend to hold on to the sanctity module more than progressives do. Mm-hmm. And so we as young progressives don't think of the notion of sanctity as like, we don't hold on to it as tightly. Uh, And that allows us to sort of make progress easier because we're not holding on to stuff as tightly Mm -hmm. um, because we're not holding things sacred. And, you know, that can have a downside to it to where like certain things that are important stop being sacred as well. And so like, 
sex starts being a thing that like stops being treated in a safe or you know way or uh you know books and knowledge and culture and all that sort of stuff is like taken for granted yeah Mm -hmm. um but we're also willing to be like we could rewrite the constitution yeah yeah right yeah (laughs) um but we don't like to someone that has different values than us that sanctity module is like definitely holding on to stuff way more tightly and we're like we're easily willing to be like yeah just rewrite it it's whatever and they're like no you can't and like it's harder for us to empathize with that because we don't have that same value i gotcha yeah (laughs) yeah definitely um do you do a lot of engagement with people that you disagree with um, I don't, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I sort of. So my closest group of friends, no. Um, my boyfriend is, you know, we're on the same page. My, uh, my mom and I are on the same page. I don't talk to my dad much about anything like this. Um, so I'm genuinely not sure. I It would be interesting to talk to him about it. I do have some like, friends that I meet with, you know, like once a month for coffee that, uh, we don't necessarily agree on the same things, but, um, we don't discuss it much. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, I think I do like, yeah, I do interact with people who don't agree with me on the same things. Um, uh, and it's interesting to hear the, uh, the way that they think about things. Yeah. And how they, uh, there's like fundamental truths in their lives that are just very different from the ones that are in mine. And, um, and I also empathize with, um, conservative conservatives or like, um, people on the other side of things from me because I grew up kind of that way. Like my mom is actually, um, like, kind of she teeters between both sides Mm -hmm. depending on the situation and that I think is her upbringing versus her like what she's learned as an adult kind of thing but uh like I grew up um being pro-life like firmly Mm, um right and I think it's like you have to be like oh my goodness you know did you ever protest outside of a abortion clinic I oh no I didn't did did. you yeah yeah, there's (laughs) Uh, there's like reverse Catholic guilt in me from that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You didn't know. I feel like that's the thing too, is like, um, I just remember knowing, like when I was young, I remember knowing. And I think the difference between me then and me now is like, I, I don't know, you know, like I, I have beliefs, but like, I don't know anything. And, and back then I remember being like firm and I knew, and I was certain that I was right. And that the things that I believed were godly and they were correct. And, uh, and so I think when I do interact with people who have different beliefs than me, it's easier for me to, to empathize and be like, I get that. I don't, I'm not there. I don't agree necessarily, but I get that. I do struggle with people who, um, want to change my mind, you know, um, like I like to hear perspectives. I think that it's always useful to have like as much 
information from every side as you can so that you can, you know, um, have a good, uh, well-rounded and informed opinion. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But, uh, I feel like sometimes you encounter people who are like hateful, um, towards you for not, for not sharing the exact same opinions and um, I really don't do well with that, but <laughs> I don't, I do, I do hang out with people who don't share the same thing. Yeah. Um, it is difficult to engage with, uh, beliefs that impose themselves on everyone, on everyone. Uh-huh. So, um, I'll actually say an example that came from an angsty like adolescent part of me is that like whenever I fell out of religion at like, I don't know, probably like age 19 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, there is no God. And yeah, it's a very different statement from saying, I don't think God in the way that Christianity tells us mm-hmm. it is, yeah. is true. Yeah. Uh, one is obviously a very more like nuanced statement. Yeah. Uh, but the first is like, that is a belief that imposes itself on others. Uh huh. To say out loud to people, there is no God. Mm-hmm. There are people that believe in God and like are challenged by that statement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're less challenged if you say, I don't believe in God. And I think that the Christian notion of God is not necessarily something that I agree with. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and people can engage with that a little bit better. Uh huh. <laughs> I do feel like just to like, I don't know, be kind to your 19 year old self. Sure. I feel like it's so much easier when you're ch- changing your mind <laughs> to go from one side of things completely to the other, you know, like, especially when you're young, it's like, things are so much easier to be understood as black and white. And then as you get older, like, you know, you see the grays and stuff, Mm -hmm. but like, I think, um, I, I did the same thing. Like I went from being a Christian to being like, no, God's not real, you know? And then that was a different kind of devastating. (laughs) And then you like, I mean, not everyone gets to the gray and I think that that's fine, you know, but, uh, I I don't think, uh, I think that that's very normal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it makes it difficult to engage with people who then on the other side are like marriage is between a man and a woman. Uh, why did I put on that accent whenever I said that statement? I don't know. Uh, It was great. I liked it. It uh, (laughs) Uh, but like that is a, that is an outward belief that imposes itself on others. Um, and it is challenging to engage with whenever your belief is challenging another person's existence. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there are only men and women. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know why that accent keeps coming out of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, that like for someone who is trans or non-binary, they're like, well, I exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so either you don't think I exist or you think that I am invalid Mm -hmm. and that is challenging to my existence. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) And it makes it sometimes impossible to engage with. Yeah. Um, Yeah, definitely. And we just aren't able to communicate in a way that allows us to even just talk. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you can't bridge the gap because you're so far apart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, I don't know. Uh, one thought that keeps coming up is uh, our culture overvalues informational intelligence and devalues emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's probably also like patriarchy in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, yeah, we would all do so much better with like acknowledging that there is such a thing as emotional intelligence and that they're like not just its existence, which is a, a a good starting point, <laughs> uh, but also that there are ways of increasing one's emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and better engaging with other people through emotional intelligence and like, uh, yeah, just acknowledging that like, hey, here's a skill bar in your life that you didn't know existed and now you can level it up. Yeah. Uh, I I think it's interesting i i spent a lot of time reading like psychology books and like Mm -hmm. trying to understand um like why we are the way we are and like how we process trauma and like Mm -hmm. dynamics between relationships and like all of that stuff and i think it's interesting because there's a lot of research that's been done on like our nervous systems and um you know the way that we respond to things as humans and um emotional intelligence is like scientifically proven, you know, that it's better for you. Um, like, you know, there are psychologists who are studying it on the regular. And so what's crazy to me is that there are so many people who deny, you know, emotion, just like you're saying emotional intelligence, when in fact, like logically it's backed up, like science is saying now that like, we benefit from like being more emotionally aware. It's not even emotional. It's, I mean, it is, but it's like, it's our brain chemistry and like what's better off for, for our bodies and for our brains and all of that. So that's always interesting to me that people just, they just deny it. (laughs) Right. Uh, But also like kind of what you're saying is that like, we can actually like intellectualize it like hey look there are ways you can communicate with people that like show them that you are being aware of their emotions and like that will increase just positive interactions between you and other people it will benefit your relationships to just like just add these words to your vocabulary even uh (laughs) do you know about team cbt uh, do you know about CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, this is another uh thing that I like just keep telling everyone about, which is uh I'm I'm glad I'm happy to keep telling people about it. I it. Uh, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast yet, but like if I wasn't 110 percent into music, uh, I would be a therapist. <laughs> uh, like I was going to say like, consider being a therapist. Like, no, I would probably just be a therapist. Uh, <laughs> um, and I've been listening to a lot of um, podcasts about uh, team CBT. And so cognitive behavioral therapy is uh, using methods to 
engage with thoughts and how they affect you internally and like using just logic and even also emotional intelligence to engage with the thoughts that are making you feel a certain way. Yeah. Um, the foundation being uh, your thoughts guide your emotions and not the other way around. Uh-huh. Um, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I believe that for sure. Um, and so Team CBT is like an even more structured way of doing it and is, you know, yeah, yeah, academics love acronyms. Uh, <laughs> uh, so team is testing empathy, um, addressing the resistance or something like that. Uh, it used to be agenda setting, but like whatever. Uh, <laughs> and then M is methods. Okay. Um, and it's in that order because that is the way in which team therapy goes and so testing you like take a a little like test that just shares like how sad are you feeling how angry are you feeling how rejected are you feeling and just like from a scale of like one to 20 just like putting that down and that lets your therapist know like literally just how are you feeling uh, and it's actually way more effective doing it that way than, uh, sitting down with a person and asking them how they're feeling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's such a big question that way. Yeah. Um, and also that like, uh, whenever you ask someone how they're feeling, you don't really like put it in like a numerical scale. Mm -hmm. Like, how are you feeling? Are you feeling sad? Yes. How sad yeah right very yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like cool i can engage with that somehow yeah. um but if it's like on a scale of zero to 20 mm -hmm. how depressed are you feeling and if like you can kind of guess that like all right well like 20 is probably in the depths of like i want to die now mm -hmm. and zero being like I am not sad at all. Mm -hmm. And so you can, you know, pretty well put that somewhere. And that actually does let your therapist know, like, where you're at. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, before I get into just like full on, this is a Team CBT podcast now, uh, <laughs> that like, uh, it's a whole way of engaging with like, people and emotions and thoughts in a like structured way that mm -hmm. uh leads to recovery uh -huh. which is a strange phrase to hear in terms of mental health mm -hmm. that like Definitely. you can be recovered from like from depression or anxiety or trauma um yeah. And one, acknowledging that that's possible. That's neat. Uh, there are science behind it. You can look into it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but also that like there are ways of getting there mm -hmm. and there are ways of getting there yourself if you can't afford a therapist. 
because yeah. this kind of like you know therapy is expensive and it it's is, like yeah. generally pretty inaccessible to people mm-hmm. um but like you can buy a book and like go through these things yourself mm-hmm. and if you're if you're able to like go through the books yourself you can actually like recover yourself yeah yeah <laughs> definitely um i'm reading this book right now called attached i don't know if you are familiar um i don't know who it's by but i think it's it's like have you do you know about attachment theory um so there's like so there's insecure attachment and secure attachment and this is like within relationships and the book really touches mostly on like romantic relationships mm-hmm. um and it uh secure attachment is the only healthy form of attachment and then there's insecure attachment and insecure attachment breaks down into uh four different kinds no three different kinds i'm sorry and uh there's anxious and there's avoidant and then there's like disorganized or anxious avoidant or um there's it's called many different things um and like 50 percent of the population is secure and has a healthy dynamic normally within romantic relationships and then there's the anxious people who are like um anxious um they're very like they crave intimacy a lot they're very insecure usually in relationships they're constantly wanting um reassurance and attention and constantly like worried about the relationship and then there's the avoidant kinds of people who are um you know in the beginning of a relationship they're very like kind of loving and like wow you're the best thing that's ever happened but then they don't talk to you for like four days and kind Mm -hmm. of like they avoid intimacy so they don't they're slow to say I love you and like um very slow to make commitment moves and like uncomfortable with that and then um the other kind which is much more of a rare kind is someone who struggles with both um but the book is really about uh how if you have an insecure attachment um how to become more secure because you can um become secure and really it's mostly like um you should be partnered with a secure person um (laughs) to learn how to have that attachment or even if you're not partnered like having a friend or having a mentor or that kind of thing um because it's really difficult to sustain something whenever um you're insecure within your relationships. Um, but it's, it's really interesting and very insightful and, um, has a lot of like guides on how to do that and how to identify, um, which one you are and, um, what secure people look like. And yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, I know you said that like that applies mostly to like romantic relationships, but like are you able to engage with it in, uh, like, you know, just interpersonally. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. So the book really discusses romantic relationships mostly. Um, but it, it applies to everything. I, I mean, I definitely, um, like as I'm reading the book, I, there's ways to identify, um, who, like what kind of attachment style someone has pretty quickly off the bat, mm-hmm. um, for like dating and stuff. And, uh, so as I was listening to the book, I was thinking of like the people that I interact with and like what kind of attachment styles they might have and, um, and things like that. And it's pretty like, once you read the book, it's pretty apparent after a few conversations with someone, what kind of tendencies that they have, you know, um, like the, the, 
I don't know if you've ever heard people say the, um, well, they didn't text me back for three hours. So I'm going to wait three hours to text them back or, you know, that kind of stuff like that's anxious. And like the avoid, like avoidant people are like, you know, I don't want to get tied down to a relationship or like, you know, this person's so clingy or avoidant people also, um, really, uh, fantasize over their exes. Mm. So they're like, you know, they don't stay in relationships for long usually, um, because they avoid intimacy, mm-hmm. but then like fantasize the people that they were with before and say that they were perfect. And mm-hmm. But anyway, yes, I'm sorry. That was a big explanation. No, hey. It applies to platonic relationships and all of that as well. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I, yeah, I love hearing about it. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I guess to, yeah, uh, wrap things up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that like, I don't know. There are ways which in which you can like engage with yourself and engage with others and improve relationships and be able to like, I don't know, the it's a funny thing that like since I think so much in, in terms of systems, it's also because like I try my best to like keep myself together. And I think uh, I don't know. I think I have myself together. <laughs> uh, Seems like it. Uh, I don't know. But like, and so I'm like, what else like is out there? There are still troubles in my life that I like that need to be solved. And it's like, all right, this is how I would fix the government. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> even though I was like, I can't do anything about that. But uh, anyways, like there are things within your control that you can yeah. engage with. You can improve your relationships. And there's actually like, ways of doing it and yeah like takes work probably but like you totally can mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh why do so many of these end with uh think globally act locally is the the phrase that comes to mind it's yeah. like you can uh nourish uh your community personally and locally while also discussing and keeping in mind how everyone is affected by all these other greater things mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> uh thank you for doing this with me <laughs> yeah thank you for having me again yeah it's been it's been lovely uh where can people find you in your things um uh, you can find me at www.chloebethmusic.com <laughs> um and then at chloebethmusic on instagram and all of that and then chloe beth on other stuff so yeah awesome uh well i'm santiago ramones and i'm chloe beth uh what song will be played at the end of this i'll do i'll do goodwill yeah
Find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music and produce audio. The music you're hearing now is music I made. You can listen to official releases by Santiago Ramones on Spotify, Apple Music, and the other streaming places. Or you can support me directly by buying my music on Bandcamp. I'm working on Hypothetical, my first singer-songwriter album. So if you'd like to hear that at some point, there are lots of ways to support me on my website. There's a Discord server in which we discuss deep topics from the podcast, but it's also a community of beautiful human beings. All the links to all my things are on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It would mean a lot to me to hear what you have to say, and it lets others know what to expect better than I could ever explain. I want to help the world have deeper conversations. So thank you for listening to and supporting BitDepth. And I was in every podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong.